Hello and welcome to Counter Up Pod. Podcast dedicated to all things Major League Rugby. Hello and welcome to Counter Rook Pod. I'm your host, Killian Gown, and you're all very welcome to what is now the eight, seventh, eighth episode of a podcast dedicated to all things Major League Rugby. How are you guys doing? Um, Good old day, eh? I mean, we finally have the uh, confirmation of X-Blades now being the kit sponsors for the teams and uh, have a look at the photographs. They're very stunning, but don't worry if you don't want to look at the photographs because I'm going to laboriously describe each seven home jersey for you. We got the uh, jerseys uh, or the photos of the jerseys rather sent to us a couple of days before, so we had an idea to have a look at them and... Uh, I gotta admit, um, when I first heard about X-Blades, I was kind of like, mm, not too keen on that. I mean, if you haven't really been familiar with X-Blades uh, stuff in the past, they made the London Irish jersey uh, in England and also the Gloss jersey, and I wasn't really gone on them. I think the fact that like those jerseys are just littered with like sponsors, just, oh, sorry, trap gas there. Yeah, it didn't look great, but, um, I didn't know that they made like uh, say soccer boots or uh, rugby boots, so um, so I was kind of like skeptical when I was kind of when I saw the uh, link come in and I was like, okay, hopefully these are decent. But take my hat off to X Blades; these are phenomenal, uh, really, really nice. And most important, each one is distinctive and it's innovative, and it's not just a cookie cutter template of a jersey. I think that's the worst thing and the thing that I kind of feared is that, you know, if we were going to have one kit sponsor for the entire league, they were just going to be like some generic brands um, or generic template that would just, you know, replicate and just put the, and put the crest on. Like those uh, hideous pro jerseys that they had um, two years ago. But to be fair to X-Blades, they've really put in the time and uh, come up with seven very distinctive and unique styles for each of the teams so go online check them out it's going to be available to buy soon i'm told and uh they're also going to be releasing the away jersey soon because there is actually uh when you look at san diego's jersey well let's go through all of them anyway so very very quickly the utah warriors jersey it's um all black black collar uh black sleeves and then you've got um at the end you've got a kind of like imprinted into the jersey you've got like the utah warriors crest and it looks awesome actually to be honest it's, it's kind of subtle but it's a it's a cool crest as well crest could be slightly bigger because it is a cool crest you'd love to see it um but no really cool um and then obviously the next you got the austin elite austin elite when i clicked on a photograph first i thought okay all navy with uh sky blue kind of sleeves but actually when you when you click on the jersey you look all the way down it's actually black at the chest and then it's blue sky blue at the bottom but on the bottom part you've got like this kind of uh v kind of like v pattern that's kind of running down the middle of it and uh, then you've got some very light hoops as well i mean it's there's so much going on in that jersey uh, again really innovative and uh simple collar we they didn't bring back the old school collar in these jerseys they've gone for the just the what I think is known as like the USA collar, just a very simple kind of uh, 
uh, circle around the neck. Um, but no, the elite jersey is lovely. Again, the crest, you'd love to see larger, bigger crest. Um, the San Diego jersey now, that's, just, you know, if you have a look at that jersey, that's the kind of crest size you'd want. You know, a large crest uh, stands out. It looks great. Jersey itself reminds me of the old Saracens home jersey. It's red at the base, black hoops. Hoops are obviously in fashion this year, and it kind of fades into an all-black chest area. Um, again, lovely, clean, classic jersey. There's a lot going on with the uh, with the Raptors jersey. Um, where to begin? Um, wow. So, if you remember, I don't even know where to start with this. Okay. At the bottom, you've got plain. You got a, a very sky blue. No, you got, you got a dark blue and a navy hoop hoops. Then all of a sudden, it just jumps into really, really narrow uh, white hoops on a navy background. And then on the right sleeve, that pattern continues. But on the left sleeve, it goes back to the original thicker or wider uh, dark blue and navy hoops. It's uh, and then a white collar. Um, Hmm, not too sure about that one. Uh, it's a shame, really, actually, because uh, the color that color scheme would have been class. Um, the Saber Cats, uh, of which we'll be speaking to Adam Macklin later on on the show. Very classic design, actually. Very simple, but it works. All black with um, black sleeves, and then at the edge, edges of the sleeve, you got a kind of a yellow uh, or gold ring. Uh, again, and then you got a yellow collar as well. Very classic. Very nice. Um, Austin, or sorry, the Seattle Seawolves, again, hoops again. Um, you got three-tone three hoops. You got uh, the lime green where the chest um, or where the crest is. Then you got a, basically a gray hoop, and then you got a navy hoop. And it's just a repetitive pattern there. Um, very nice as well. What else have we got? Did I say? Yeah, let's have a look. Oh yeah, of course. Nola Gold. I love Nola Gold's uh, color scheme. I mean, I know it sounds, uh, I know it sounds like stating the obvious, but like that jersey had to be gold, didn't it? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely definitely pops out of the screen. All right, the jersey itself, the design is actually just plain gold, um, as in there's no kind of like craziness to it, like the Raptors jersey, but the crest is white. Um, with gold patches in it and it just kind of contrasts very well with the actual backdrop of the jersey um, actually imprinted on the jersey looks like these like very small kind of like you know those squares that uh, you'd see when um, the TV goes all grey kind of like that little patterns kind of meshed into the back who is texting me that is the sister oh she's back from Australia yeah um, I better give her a ring later on yeah, so where was I? Yeah, and then you got the and you got the obviously the MLR logos on all of the uh, sleeves, of the, um, and actually, speak of like speaking of you know getting the size of the crest right. To be fair, MLR has that size perfect because that's really going to be picked up on TV, and mm -hmm. it's going to be Jesus, would you stop texting me? Or it's my dad. Ah. Well, I'll have to call them later back. And the MLR crest on the sleeve is brilliant because, as I said, on TV that needs to be stand that needs to obviously uh, stand out. So guys, go check out the jerseys; they are lovely looking, um, and uh, they're going to be available to uh, 
purchased soon enough and there's also going to be away jerseys being brought out as well um, in the press release it said that each member of the squad will get a set of X-Blade boots which is really cool now I'm not sure whether or not they're all contractually obliged to wear them but it's still a really cool kind of a, um, it, it's, it's a nice bit of a kit that's uh, going to be made available so um, no hats off to X-Blade really uh really well done and um i'm looking forward to seeing their uh, their off field uh, merchandise as well and of course they'll be making the uh, the referee and a match officials kit as well so guys i mentioned to you earlier that adam macklin and jack o'connell of bristol rugby we got to finally have that chat um jack as you may or may know was in um was is an old school buddy of mine and uh he had played for Leinster for uh, a while before moving over to Bristol Rugby. Um, Adam had a kind of a similar career. He kind of started off in Ulster Rugby and uh, then made his way over to Rotterdam. Um, unfortunately, an injury kind of uh, curtailed his career a little bit and he had to go back down and play for Bar- uh, Belfast Harlequins. But during his time with Ulster, he obviously got to know Justin Fitzpatrick, uh, the head coach of the Sabercats, well. And uh, when uh, the call was made, uh, just uh, Justin asked Adam to come on over, and uh, you know I think thankfully he did because he's going to be a great addition to the league. So here's myself, Jack, and Adam having a chat. So uh, I'm joined today by Adam Macklin of the Houston SaberCats, and uh, with an old friend of mine, Jack O'Connell, who's playing over in Bristol Rugby. So both of you guys are very welcome to uh, Counter Rook Pods. Um, you guys obviously played together at underage level. Um, Jack, you even said to me that Adam was the biggest schoolboy player he ever came across. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's, he's, there must be something in the water up north. Uh, uh, they were about 17 and he was about twice the size of everyone else on the field. I don't know what they are feeding him up there, but uh, yeah, yeah, he was a big boy. Check Adam. So, yeah, but number eight back at school and doing a wee bit of prop stuff whenever he's been representative of rugby, so... I uh, came across Jack at Leinster underage grade, playing Ulster, and then we were fortunate, fortunate enough to play with each other under 20s. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah, that so good. You were obviously loose head, Jack, and then Adam, you were uh, on tight head, weren't you, at that age grade, or was it? Uh, Jack covered both sides because I think it was back down 22 on then, so he was the specialist, uh, probably could cover both, so he was where there was win and goal back then. Uh, whatever way I could get onto the field, really. Uh, we had a pretty good, strong team back then. Paddy McAllister's, then Jack McGrath, who's still uh, is playing for the Lions. Like so, uh, we were lucky enough to play some pretty good players back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, I guess you've been asked this before, Adam, and um, you made your way over to Rotterdam and then you kind of came back and I think you did a bit of coaching with the Methodist College but played a bit of Belfast Harlequins how did you get picked up by Justin how did you get how did you hear about the um, what was the Sabercats well it wasn't Sabercats at the time but how did you hear about Houston yeah so um, I went over to Rotherham for a year and uh, unfortunately I had a knee injury uh, and with it being only a one year contract I ran out of contract so I had to go home and uh, do some rehab there and ended up playing my way back through AAL with Belfast Harlequins and um, played there for a season and then 
just got a message on Facebook uh, from Justin just saying, hey, how's it going? You still playing rugby? Um, I'm out in America. I'd have an opportunity out here for you if you're interested. So we went back and forth for a few months um, while everything was being worked out because it was obviously in the very early stages. He was still up in Seattle mm. and the whole thing was trying to get off the ground. And uh, so we went back and forth and then eventually signed on the dotted line and decided to get out there. At the time, was pro rugby still in existence? No, no. So pro rugby, I think, had uh, dissolved. Uh, so they were then looking at what was going to be, you know, the next step to try and bring that pro league back. And obviously, with uh, this league being with the Major League Association, the same league that you know runs the MLB, the Major League Baseball, and Major League Soccer, the MLS, um, it's obviously in good hands because it's an association that's grown two big leagues out there. So they obviously know how to grow and expand and do it the proper way. Yeah. So. Jack, I don't know how much pro rugby made its way across, um, but obviously Emma Lorna has obviously made huge kind of waves in the news, especially with CBS Sports coming on board, and you know you've got uh, high-profile players no no more so at the uh, SaberCats with um, ex the Fijian Sevens captain, and you got Justin there and Sam Windsor, a couple of Ulster guys there, but. From, is there much pickup in terms of discussion over in in UK, Jack, in relation to how the MLR will shape up? Um, well, there was a lot of discussion with the last the last pro league. I think it was it Don Waldock was playing played in that league. He coached. Yeah, was playing up there. There definitely was a bit. I think everyone's everyone in in the UK when they talk about it, very excited. It'd be incredible. Uh, Thing if, if the league does come off the ground and it's such an untapped kind of scary resource America has um, uh, geez, it, would, it would change the, the landscape of rugby and also as possible opportunity in their careers to go live in, in America which would be a hell of an opportunity for anyone uh, and, and play some, some high level rugby at the same time so when we talk about it is really excited the problem they have is they've seen the pro league it's it does. It can scare you a little bit. Not That's the thing. I actually, I was going to ask it both you guys that later on because there isn't. You know, you can almost count on one hand the number of pro leagues um, out there. Do you think this is now going to be a viable option for say uh, players playing say top fourteen, pro fourteen, whatever? That you know, it's not just a case of going to play in you know pro D two or or going over to play in Japan. I mean, if speaking to Dave Williams there you know, from the Glendale team, he was saying that if MLR can get to 20% of success of MLS, this is a real viable league. And um, do you think this is something that maybe players playing, you know, in the likes of uh, Europe and, and in um, obviously, and obviously Super Rugby, that they're going to be looking at this as a potential viable option for their careers, maybe at any stage, really, at their, throughout their careers? I'll go to Adam on that one first. Yeah, I mean... As you were saying, we've had a couple of Fijian seven stars come on to our squad. Um, I say Collins uh, is the Fijian sevens captain who won gold at the Olympics. Um, we had a guy, uh, Joseph Vici, also join us, who's played a wee bit on the seven circuit and the ten circuit. Um, both those boys have been in France, you know, playing fifteens. Uh, I say I was at uh, I think Agen for a bit, so you know he's tasted that sort of top level fifteens uh, standard as well. And 
I don't know whether it's the American culture or lifestyle draws people out there, but you know it's another opportunity out here to play good standard 15s. Um, but I think you know the first few years of this league is massively important. You know they've got to get that right and they've got to expand properly. So at the moment, you know our team, while it's fairly professional, the wage budget, the salary cap, isn't there. You know to have a full squad, yeah. full time all the time. Which is, you know, the standard which they need to try and get to. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think the the way I mean, there's lessons learned from pro rugby in that it's associated now with strong affiliated D one teams who've been around. So, you know, um, Jack and I were talking about this last time. The likes of Chicago Lions, who are a strong D one team in the Midwest, they're going to be signed up for 2019. You've got the uh, Ontario area, Ontario Arrows, who are obviously coming off another strong Toronto base. Even I think I, I would I think I'm right in saying that the Sabercats are the only team that are kind of starting not from scratch but they're starting from a not affiliated D1 team. So it's lessons learned from pro rugby uh, that I think this will make will ultimately lead to the success of this. But Jack, what do you think um, in terms of players migrating to MLO or in the future? I can only speak personally but as well as having talked to other people that uh, can grow and become a sustainable place where people see your deal here. I'm safe. I can play my rugby. I think it'll be a lot. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot better situation than going to Pro Dita and playing in some small town in France. You get to go live in America. You could be living in Colorado, Houston, and travel and, and visit a country that you might not get the chance to work in for the rest of your life. So, I think if if the league can grow and become a stable league and a league where people can play some high quality rugby then I can't see it not taking off I, I just there's so many opportunities for people to go live in such a like a, such a great country um, that it, it will really go from strength to strength I think you're going to we're also going to see off suitors from uh, say like the admin side of Pro 14 you know that, that talk of a Washington team joining the uh, Pro 14 I met a. I was actually just. I was in Washington over the weekend. I was chatting to a high school coach there, and he was telling me that it's now no longer going to be the case because A didn't meet the requirements to join. Pro fourteen did approach Washington for a club, so A didn't meet the requirements to join the league. But then B, the owner who was kind of actually um, pushing for, didn't really know too much about MLR and how MLR has grown, and obviously it's kind of situated to, towards the west, Midwest, and. It's coming slowly, creeping to the east. So I think they're going to maybe focus on that, which is again good for the league itself. Um, Adam, back to yourself there. You're you're about in you're in Houston for about a month. I think you've got about two games underneath the belt there. Standard wise, talk to me about say standard wise in terms of a physicality and then b the nuances of the game. Where are they match up say in England or in Ireland? Okay, so yeah, so I've been here for just over about six weeks. So we've played. We're in phase two of what we called our preseason, where we played five uh, scrimmage games, as they would call them. So yeah. we play games which we just broke down in twenty-minute periods. So rolling subs, play twenty minutes, break twenty minutes half time, and then in the second half, in the same uh, same process there, um, before we actually start our exhibition series, we're calling it, which is our preseason friendlies in January, yeah. leading up into the MLR. Um, so. We've just played some local uh, Texas teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played uh, the Austin Blacks uh, twice. Yeah. We played the Dallas Harlequins once, and we played the Dallas Reds twice. 
Um, the strongest team we came up against was the Dallas Reds, um, where on on their side they're a big physical team. They got some big boys in there, uh, you know, who aren't afraid to to get stuck in and make some hits. Uh, standard wise rugby, um, you know, it can vary. I think depending who's on what team. There's some very good players in opposition teams, mm. and then there's some guys who've just joined rugby. You know, I think as we were talking about rugby's just kicking off over here and it needs to try and tap into the athletic talent pool of the college athletes that don't go on to necessarily make it in basketball or NFL standard who then just drop off because there's nothing amateur wise for them so I think that's where you know that talent pool of, there's so many good athletes out here who then go to waste we need to try and tap into them try and get them playing rugby uh earlier while well, maybe they're at college or they're at high school so that then if they don't make it to that standard they can drop back in here okay and they're not going to waste yeah i mean it, it it seems like physically these guys can match it up with anybody um these are ex you know college d1 college players but it's the case of like you know when to pull that pass or maybe when to clear your lines is something that's an education yeah and that's you know that's where we're uh, trying to get in on the ground floor so we've got an initiative going that we're trying to set up a saber cats academy mm. Uh, so we're going to be going around some of the less privileged high schools uh, and going out there. It's a scheme of the government we've got going here in Houston uh, that we're going to go out there to four to six schools and try and help them out and try and get them going, you know, the people that don't have as much in the society and try and get them integrated into team sports and try and get back to them. I was talking, to, actually, my very first podcast on... MLO was actually with Justin and uh, yeah. it was the one he was the one thing that he stressed to me is that the biggest difference one of the biggest difference between MLO and pro rugby was that pro rugby was almost like a closed shop it was you know Doug owning all six teams and it was just the teams MLO is team but it's so much more than team it's like integrating rugby programs into high schools in the local D1 clubs and not just D1 clubs but also trying to find and tap into players and develop coaching structures Jack, do you reckon we can use MLR as maybe um, I wouldn't say I don't want to say a, a nursery or a feeding ground because that's not that's not uh, the right thing to say here. But like, can professional clubs in England and in Ireland use MLR to help develop players, up and coming players that maybe for the squads that have larger pool of players to maybe you know, especially if you're on the American, if you're American and you're playing in England, maybe develop your skill set over in MLR like. Seattle in London, obviously, not Seattle, Saracens in London have a partnership with the Seattle-based team who are the understudy of Seattle Saracens, Seattle Seawolves. So do you think there's more of a partnership there that we can possibly explore between English clubs and MLR clubs? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that's a possibility. As, as Adam says, there's such a, a massive pool of athletes in America. They're just pure athletes that shame to dilute that with bringing loads of players over from the UK game time but there is also a case to say that's who aren't getting a huge amount of game time in the UK send them over for six months periods so they get to interact with the American players and the American players get to interact with them and they learn off each other mm. then that could be quite beneficial going forward like as, as Adam was talking about the nuances of the game was it you the nuances of the game that's probably the hardest point because they're not going to I don't think athletes are going to have any trouble with that side of it it's more the uh the, the subtleties of the game that they'll, they'll are going to be quite hard to pick up. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. That's, you don't want to dilute it with non-US uh, players. I think there's a quota, I think, on the number of non-US players, Adam, isn't there, in, in each squad? Yeah, I think it's five. You're allowed to have five uh, so-called foreign players, as it's saying. So at the moment, we've got uh, myself, uh, Charlie Hewitt, who was at Worcester Warriors last year. A lock, uh, Connor Murphy uses scrum half, who was mm-hmm. London, London Irish, and then we've got the two Fijian boys. Yeah. Uh, so we've all worked on that, and then we've got a, you know a lot of boys from uh, outside of the US that have US citizenship or have green cards. Very good, very good. You were back in Ulster back in around 2012 um, time, um, and uh, I suppose the question I have. Really, I wanted to ask: Is any fond memories of uh, Titty Von Tramp? In uh... <laughs> I mean, well, if you've ever been in a night out in Belfast, uh, <laughs> it's not a night out if Titty's not there. So, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's a special uh, person to come across on the streets of Belfast. Sadly, re- sadly retired back in twenty fourteen, but her, but her or his legacy lives on anyway. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll talk about Belfast. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, if you do come across any encounters like that, please let us know. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I've been here uh, already and there's come across some characters, so find any more like that, I'll let you know. Yeah, do, please. Yeah, did Conor Murphy actually pee in the pool? That's what we want to know. <laughs> I can confirm that did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, Jack, Adam, thank you very much for joining on uh, Counter Rug Pod, and uh, best luck with both your uh, career, well, your seasons ahead. Anyway, oh, thanks a lot. So there you have it. Uh, regardless of Adam's playing career over in uh, Houston Sabercats, he now has uh, one of his main callings in life, and that is now to look for the equivalent of uh, Titty Von Tramp in Houston. My God, if he does find something similar, that's going to be a sight to be seen. And yeah, great to hear from Jack as well. Very interesting, I always find, to get uh, professional players' uh, opinions on the league here because obviously the more established leagues are going to be looking over to the States and seeing what they're doing. And, you know, as Adam pointed out, the salaries, the wages aren't there yet to compete with the clubs over in uh, UK and Ireland. But this is done professionally and the league is going to grow. Jack also alluded to this. Why not go and explore the options to play in America? I mean, there's clearly an interest there in terms of the lifestyle, living in the city. And as Jack pointed out, it would be better than living in a small little village in the middle of uh, nowhere in France. So if you remember from the last podcast, I had um, two guys who I coach in the local rugby team here in uh, Lynchburg, the Blackwater Rugby Club. I had Adam Evans and uh, Josiah Geico uh, Gillett. And in the last poll, we kind of discussed about how as a club, we are trying to grow our own kind of uh, player pool numbers and how the game in America is growing. But in the second part of the conversation, we're talking about, you know, as fans of MLR specifically and uh, what we hope to see and what we expect. I wanted to ask your opinion. Um, this is an MLR podcast and this is a long time coming. This is a breakthrough for USA rugby in particular. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, it is exciting. We've got seven teams, none unfortunately on the East Coast. The team closest to us, I guess would be either let's see glendale in colorado or nola in new orleans 
so, uh, so far cry from the East Coast. I mm. mean, it's, it's been kind of interesting, even with the, you know, that uh, that pro rugby that tried to do yeah. something a year ago. Still nothing on the East Coast. When New York and Chicago will be with us next year. Oh, excellent. 2019. That's, that's great so 2019, yeah, yeah, 2019. That's yeah. good. But, so, I mean, new league, new fans, new aspirations, you know, we're at it from the cradle here. What, like, what would you want to see? Well, I'm just, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the potential. Um, I'm a little impatient for it to develop more on the East Coast, but I know it's going to take time. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my impatience is that, you know, I just, I want it to be here. I want it to be in Virginia. I want it to be in the, you know, the, the coastal area, you know, closer than New York, ideally. And so that's, that's my main thing is I'm, I'm just waiting for it to get to that point. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to follow it and all of that, but I won't feel like I've got a, a team that I could, uh, that I could be a fan of or, or anything until it's, it's a little bit closer to home personally. Have you, um, so right, so what I'm hearing is that because there's no team on the East Coast per se, in particular Virginia, you're just looking for just, you know, good standard rugby, no team exactly. to Yeah, I'm yeah. looking for, I'm looking for good rugby matches. I'm going to be watching it, but I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna necessarily going to be wearing one team's jersey over the other. I'm just going to be mm. looking for a good quality of the game and good competitiveness and, uh, you know, looking for the rising stars in American rugby who are going to be on that field, looking for those individual players that are developing that we're going mm. to be seeing a lot more of over the next few years. That's what I'm excited to watch. How, um, how important is getting the top U.S. guys back from Europe? Chris Wiles, the uh, the uh, Chris Wiles of this world, uh, the Gwengas of these worlds. You know, these guys mm-hmm. have obviously played most of their professional careers, rightly so, yeah. in France and, and in England, but... Um, this isn't going to be there's going to there's going to be a huge gulf in class between the Pro 14 Top 14 Guinness League and the MLO but I mean fans have to be patient right mm-hmm. absolutely not, yeah, yeah we, just, we just gotta wait for it I mean it's exciting and, and for some adult you know lifelong rugby players it's gonna you, you kind of want everything now but you, you you do have to be patient like I said because it, it's really infancy stages I mean we're talking about you know, a sport that's not huge already. When rugby went professional in the world uh, in the mid '90s, yeah, it uh, it was already well established. Um, you know, it was a huge sport in many countries. Where it, whereas now in the U.S., it's not a huge sport, no. but we're still making the push to go professional. I still think that can work. It doesn't. It it certainly doesn't have to follow the the recipe that you know history laid out for rugby before before it went professional but I think we can still go professional now and it can still work it's just it's just all about the patience uh, building it up the right way and I think uh, from the from the sound of it and the way they're the way they're establishing themselves now MLR is on the right track um, not not overreaching but at the same time uh, getting into the right clubs the right cities and and they're gonna they're gonna have something that's a good point because the, the the thing about MLR is that it's kind of pocketed to an area of the states. Now I know Seattle versus New Orleans is a huge gap, but it's kind of if you draw a line up from New Orleans and go west, it's focusing on that area. Yeah. Um, logistically, this is not going to be easy. Right. You've got a lot of traveling involved. USA is the size of Europe practically. Um, you've got a lot of traveling involved. What I would say to the fans on the East Coast is that. Be, do be patient it will happen allow if you, for the benefit of rugby and whole allow MLR to succeed in a sustainable way on the west coast 
I know New York will have a club. Chicago Lions will be coming in for the 2018-2019 season. Um, there is talks of a Washington. There is talks of Washington, as you know, joining the top 14. Let's hope that's not the case. But be patient because allow it to grow sustainable because you know, on the on the west side of the uh, of the states. And uh, you know, there's look, no doubt we'll have a club here on the east coast. Yeah. Um, if for some instance, you know, USA rugby gets into a bidding war for a World Cup, I think personally that would be massive because I always kind of model the MLR infancy stage versus the MLS infancy stage, and that really that that kicked off after USA held the Soccer World Cup in 1994. MLS started in 1996, mm. and you know the value of each team has just exponentially rise since then. So. Um, that that is a terrific point, yeah. yeah. Because obviously the U.S. has the has the venues, has the logistics, and everything. Mm-hmm. They they certainly could host a World Cup. Um, it, yeah, I I think that would be definitely from USA Rugby standpoint. That should be one of their big time go get it goals. Um, and you could do it on the East Coast because if you think about it, the West Coast exactly. has Emelore, uh-huh. it's growing. Right. Let's introduce professional rugby on the east coast so new england pennsylvania yeah. that kind of area well that that example you said of the mls the soccer league after hosting after having you know soccer have it have it big they saw an uptake in the following years mm. uh, of those clubs the same thing same exact thing could happen with rugby if we hosted a world cup guaranteed the following year and two years after that mm. we'd see a huge uptick of players getting interested in their local uh, local rugby club or in youth rugby, or or it opens up their eyes and say, oh, yeah, we, do we do we have rugby over here? Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 I heard there's but this professional league. You know, it, it just it's 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 set. It's a, it's such a huge stage that you know every four years Americans get excited about the Olympics, and after every Olympics, everybody's a little more interested in. Skiing yeah. or curling or something that they never gave a thought to before, but then they see it on TV. They see their country competing. It, it looks it looks competitive. It's yep. fun. It's 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 technically difficult. It's a new experience for them because you know we we Americans we always love something new. Yep. So I, I think that would be a huge uh, huge benefit if eventually the U.S. could host a World Cup. Yeah, true. So yeah, that's pretty much me for uh, twenty seventeen, guys. Um, Thank you, everybody, who has uh, tuned in over the last uh, number of months. Um, please feel free to uh, subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Or, you know, if you guys want to hit me up with a mail, I'm at uh, Twitter at Kigsgown, C I G S G O W A N. And uh, of course, you can always email me too at counterrookpod, so counterrookpod at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody who has got any comments, questions, and. Uh, wants us to have it be have it discussed on the pod so with that i will wish you all a merry christmas and a happy new year and um yeah looking forward to uh getting back getting back at it in uh, 2018 all right take care